If you would, please turn in your Bible to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. And we are moving our way through. We just, we've seen the first six verses. We'll look at just one verse today, the seventh verse, which is a crucial verse. And we want to unpack it and understand it. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word, this source of wisdom that we have, this anchor for our souls. We thank you, Lord, for the guidance that it gives us, for the life that it is, the sustenance that we need for our spiritual lives, the power that it has to change us. And we thank you. We do pray that you would be honored and glorified with our time together. May we apply these aptly to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this book was written for the naive. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That Solomon, in all of his wisdom, he targets the naive ones. And you would think that he's, he's kind of targeting the youth. And, and there is an element of that. He does speak to young people because they tend to fall into this category most. In Israel, there were not just the youth. There were a lot of naive. The naive would refer to... Anyone who doesn't have a a well-developed value system, those who are kind of adrift, amoral, they're not very well grounded. They don't see the dangers in life. They don't see uh, values as they should. There's no moral compass, if you will. We might use that term. There's really no anchor. And they could go one way or the other. They're kind of always at this crossroads. They could go this way or they could go this way. And it, uh, to them, it would be the same. There would be no difference. And so they usually just choose the way they want to go. But Proverbs, Solomon, he targets that group, this naive group. He lays out very clearly the theme of the book. Very discernible, very clear, very easy to understand. And it's in verse 7 here. But when we read it, we, we might jump to the conclusion that he's just talking, uh, he's just making a comparison between wisdom and folly or foolishness or the wise person and the foolish person. And we kind of just blanket over that, just kind of cover that and, and just say it's just a comparison. It's kind of neutral. He's just stating some facts. But that's not exactly it. That's not the way you need to read it. Some people may read it as a declaration. That he's giving this as a command, uh, authoritatively, here's what needs to happen. This is what needs to be done. But I think, really, you have to read this as a plea. As a plea, as a one who is not neutral, one who is concerned, one who is giving warning, one who is calling out and inviting you to, to come in here inviting this naive person to to come in and learn of wisdom. Because that's what we see throughout the book. There's these two elements that are calling for the attention of the the naive. We see this in 
chapter 9. In fact, from chapters 1 to chapter 9, it's more of teaching. It's not just pithy little statements or proverbs. There's didactic teaching that Solomon gives in those first nine chapters. By the time you get to the, the ninth chapters, these are well spelled out. And look at chapter 9 and verse 1. If you just look at verse 1, it talks about uh, wisdom building her house. And by the time you get to verse 4, she's calling out to the, to the naive. Who, whoever is naive, let him turn in here. So that's wisdom calling out. And there's a concern there. It's not just a, 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 a neutral position. They're concerned here. Those who lack understanding turn in here. But also, if you look down in verse 13, chapter 9, verse 13, you have woman of folly. And she's boisterous. And she's naive. And she knows nothing. But yet she calls out as well in verse 15. Calling to those who pass by. And everybody that's in the streets, they've got, they're going their own way, but she's calling them. And in verse 16, whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And so you have this competition. But in, in folly here, she says, oh, stolen wet, it's stolen uh, water, it's, it's sweet. And you turn in here, I've got things to offer. But verse 18 tells us, but he does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is hell. You turn down this path and you're going the wrong way. And so this is not just a neutral thing. Uh, Solomon is not neutral in giving these uh, commandments. It's not just a comparison. He is giving this in, in, uh, by way of a plea, a plea to, uh, to the naive. And he wants wisdom to be seen as something that is good and folly to be seen as dangerous and something to, to be avoided. Because both of these, they offer, they represent a direction of life, a worldview, a philosophy, a lifestyle. Both of them have that. And I believe, I am concerned that our nation is at that crossroads. And you would almost hear wisdom calling out, turn in here, or you would hear folly, just keep going down this road. And you begin to you begin to see these things working out. And I I think this, I think this in our country because we seem to have lost our bearings. We no longer call good good. We call it evil. And our value system is being skewed. Our value of life is lower or less than it should be. Our values of family and church and work, our, our morals have become relative. We've lost respect and dignity and hum, humility and honor. We don't even blink at abortion anymore. Adultery or fornication or divorce or homosexuality or drunkenness or pride. That, that's just commonplace. It's commonplace. Gluttony. So wisdom is calling out. It would be calling out to America. You look at the American church. You, you go into a Christian bookstore and, and you, you don't see the same values 
in Scripture, as you would see it in that Christian bookstore, many churches, there's just a slight shift in the values. And it's hard to, it's hard to deal with a, a world like that, but, but Christianity seems to be going in that same direction. And in Proverbs, uh, Solomon would, would plead to us. He would not just be neutral, he would plead. Wisdom would plead, turn in here. Because I think we're pretty naive. And the, the older I get, I, I, I see that we're so much more vulnerable than we think. We think we're wise. We really do. But I think that because of the allure of sin and, and Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy, and the way, one of the ways he does that is changing the value systems, changing the way we see things. That's just his scheme. And he targets the naive. And we need to be aware of how he functions, how he acts and works, and the devastation that he can do. And Proverbs is a timely book to be reading, to be studying, because I think America is at this crossroads. And it could go either way. It could just go either way. It's just a matter of a vote. It's just a matter of uh, one's preference. But there's a, a whole lot more at stake than we think. Than we think. So the question is, is what is this fear of the Lord? What is this thing that, that grounds us, that holds us like an anchor in a troubled sea? What is this? And to answer this question, we need to see how Solomon is using this in the book of, of Proverbs. Now, you can see it really throughout Scripture, this phrase. But we just want to see how Solomon is using this in, his, in this text. And there's 13 uses. And I want to use, I want to go through this. You can see it on the, on the board. And I've just given a one word caption for each one of these. And I want to move through this quickly, but, but slowly. I don't know how I'm going to do that. But we'll try to do it quickly. Look at this. Chapter one. So I would encourage you, get your Bible out, turn to these, look at these as I just, as I just flash right past them. Chapter one and verse 29. Because they hate knowledge and do not choose the fear of the Lord. The key word there is just a choice. It's a life choice. They're choosing to reject all of the evidence that's out there that points to a God. God has left His fingerprint everywhere and they're rejecting that. They're rejecting that. And so it's a choice. Chapter 2 and verse 5 then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. It has to be, in fact, leading up to that, you're searching after it. You're pursuing it. And you discover it. And you discern it. The idea here is as you look at God's general revelation, what God created, His fingerprint, you see that and it's going to always point to God and ultimately you will wind up with special revelation. There has to be knowledge. has to be knowledge. Someone has to tell you. Romans chapter 10 all over again. That's So special revelation. Chapter 3 and verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There's an element of denial here. There's a, a, a humble, an honest humility before God that has to take place. And then there's self-denial. You have to deny self. You have to turn. 
Turn away from that evil to turn to God. There's a denial. Chapter 8 and verse 13 says this, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way. It's an established life or way of life. Establishes one and with conviction. To the point that you hate the opposite. Whatever the opposite is, you're going to hate that. Because it's, it's, it affects every part of your life. And so there's conviction. Chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There's a parallel phrases here. The fear of the Lord, the knowledge of the Holy One. There's a parallel here because there's a connection between the knowledge that we gain... In, in God, you have to make that comparison there. Here's what you discover. Here's what you find. This wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. The fearing of the Lord comes from knowledge. So you gain this knowledge uh, that this God exists and you submit yourself. You fear Him and that leads then to l- wisdom. But it has to start with knowledge. You have to have the right knowledge. You have to have the right understanding. Your theology can't be skewed. You have to have the right God. You understand that. Chapter 14, verse 26, is the next passage. It says this, In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Strong confidence. That would be the key word. Once your life is oriented to its creator, you as a creation or created being, once you line up with God's purpose or God's existence, the existence of your creator, everything seems to fall into place. It doesn't make it easy, but everything seems to fall into place when you are lined with your creator. Everything makes sense. The next verse, chapter 14 and verse 27, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. There's a a purpose to life. That's your key word. There's a a sense of duty, a sense of responsibility, a a prudent, that produces a zeal, gives you a joy of, of living. There's a fountain of life there in this fear of the Lord. Now that's kind of a paradox, but that's what we see. Chapter 15 and verse 16 says this, better is little, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. You, you can have all of the, the world's comforts and still be just as in, much in turmoil as, as anyone else. And so the, the key um, idea there is peace and comfort. You can have peace and comfort and have very little of this world's goods if you have the fear of the Lord. The end of that chapter, chapter 15, verse 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction for wisdom. Now, we understand it's the beginning of wisdom, but it's also the instruction of wisdom. It kind of goes along with you throughout life. It's a constant guide. And you see that really, Deuteronomy 5. It's constantly correcting you as you move through life. Chapter 16 and verse 6 tells this, by loving kindness and truth and equity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps his way from evil. It's a deterrent. The fear of the Lord produces a deterrent from sin. Deterrent from sin. If there's a a genuine reverence for God, it, it will manufacture a desire to stay away from sin. That's the idea. 
If you are struggling with sin, fear the Lord more. Look at Him more. Fear Him. And that will help. Chapter 19 and verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. So that one may sleep. I like that. That one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. There's a, there's a rest. There's a, a comfort for the soul. A sleep. A rest in the sovereignty of God. In chapter 22, verse 4, we have another one. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. There's success, that would be your key word. Success in the fear of the Lord. Now, it may not always be uh, the riches and the honor in this life, but that will come. But in this life, we will have spiritual riches and honor, and life. And the last one is chapter 23 and verse, verse 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners. Now that's one orientation of life, if you will. If you keep your eye on sinners and envying them and trying to please man, that's one way to look at life. But live in the fear of the Lord. It says do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord. Our life orientation has to be God. We fear Him first. We fear Him above fearing man. So it's a life orientation. Now you get the picture. Solomon sums it up in um, Ecclesiastes, the passage that was read for us earlier. The, the last verse was left out. I want you to... Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I want you to just I want to point this out to you. The conclusion out of this whole book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the same author here, he concludes this then that when all has been heard, that we might say it when all has been said and done, it comes down to one thing, and that is fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God. Fear God. They say, why do that? Well, the key is in verse 14. For God will be, will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. We will ultimately stand before God and He will judge us. That's gonna boil down life to one simple act. Everything's going to come to that one thing. And if we want to orient our life to anything, it must be to this. This is the starting point. This is the starting point. Fear God. When you fear, when you fear something, it kind of, um, it kind of, it kind of sets everything clear in your mind. It, it clarifies your value system. If I'm out in the jungles of Africa and a lion is chasing me, my objective is pretty clear, isn't it? In so many areas of life, when you are afraid, it, it helps focus your attention to what's really, really important. Now, this idea, the fear of the Lord, is found 45 times in the book of Psalms. 19 times David mentioned it. 19 times here in the book of Proverbs. And in the New Testament, you see the word, the phrase, fear of the Lord. And what we find is it's an essential phrase that goes throughout the whole of, of Scripture. It ties everything together. It pulls it together. There's a continuity. 
in the Old Testament and the New Testament about this one idea, and that's fearing God. Pulls everything together. Everything together. God's people fear Him. That's where it starts. It starts with a, a dread, a dread, a, a reverence of faith toward God. When you face the reality of God, just the fact that He exists, and then you look at His holiness, there's a fear that sets in. Because He is our King. He is our Sovereign. He is our Creator. And we submit to Him. We are His creatures. We are His people. R.C. Sproul said, We fear the holy because we are not holy. There's a there's an orientation. We begin to realize He is holy. We are not. He is the Creator. We are not. He is sovereign. We are not. And we we see ourselves in our place. And essentially, the only thing that we can do is throw ourselves on the mercy seat of this holy God and beg for mercy. And here's the sweet part. Because we find Him to be kind We find Him to be good. We find Him to be merciful and gracious. That's our God. Now what am I describing here? I'm describing salvation. And that's the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament is this salvation. This is pre-cross. Solomon is trying to explain this salvation before Christ even gets here. And he's looking to... Christ, he doesn't know Christ in that sense, but he knows God and he trusts God to provide a savior. And that's the that's the idea. We put our faith in God. He is going to work this out. Now, we are looking back to the cross and we see that as Christ. We see his work. We've seen what he does. We've seen his salvation. We've experienced that. Let me point out, by the way, in the New Testament, just one verse. What did, what did Paul tell us? The central problem with man, the biggest problem that man has is that there's no fear of God before their eyes. Romans chapter 3, verse 18. No fear of God. That's the problem. They don't fear God. Their life is not oriented to God at all. They just reject Him. But that is the central thing is the fear of God submitting to Him, turning to Him by faith away from our sins. And of course, that faith is in Jesus Christ. It's the key thing. It's the key throughout Scripture, really. One commentary said, it's the the foundation of the building. It's the kill of the ship. It's the heart of the body. It's the chip in the computer. Without it, nothing else fits. Nothing else makes sense. And when you take this verse, verse 7, if you go back to Proverbs chapter 1, you take this one verse out, this idea of the fear of the Lord out of Proverbs, then all you're left with is a book of morals. All of the oughts and the shoulds and the commands, it's just a a moralism. You take the fear of the Lord out and you've got a self-help book. That's all this is. Essentially legalism. But it all starts with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Without the fear of the Lord, there is no, no wisdom exists in any individual. Individual. You may be brilliant, but if you don't connect the dots between you as a created being and your creator, God, then you've missed it. 
The Bible calls you a fool or foolish if you exclude God. And it starts with knowledge. The knowledge of God then produces the fear of God in me. And there's reverence to God. This fear of God results in wisdom that it produces in my life. Now, what about the opposite? In contrast, if you look back to Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We understand that. That's a life orientation. Fools despise. You see, the, the counterpoint here is the fool. And he, he has a, a completely different life orientation, a way he looks at life. He is the center of his existence, this fool. In fact, he, he doesn't even get beyond understanding God because you can't even explain God to him. He is not interested because he's not interested in wisdom. He's not interested in instruction. He thinks he knows it all. That's what it comes down to. So what is this fool? Let's look at this idea of the fool in Scripture in the book of Proverbs. Derek Kidner, uh, in his commentary, has just a, a great uh, uh, section on the fool. And he divides this word fool. There's three, actually three different words in the Hebrew for fool. There's three. Uh, the first one is kissel, and it's used 50 times, 50 times. It's not talking about his mental capacity, that he's just a little slow. No, this is man's chosen outlook on life. This is the way he looks at life. We know that David, in his psalm, he said, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So we know right off, the fool has rejected God. You see the Scripture verses on there. I'm not going to read them this time. I'm just going to describe this fool for you. He, is, he has rejected the fear of the Lord. His careless and complacent attitude will ultimately kill him. The fool has no idea of patience searching out for wisdom. That's a foreign concept to him. He has no way to even handle that wisdom. If you would give him a proverb, it just kind of stays limp in his mouth or it falls flat. We see these verses. He doesn't imagine himself to be wrong, and so he doesn't need any instruction, anybody to give him instruction. The real problem is a spiritual problem, not so much a mental problem, because he loves his folly. That's what fools love. They love their folly. There's no respect for truth. He is a menace. He lacks sense. He is unstoppable when he's in his folly, when he's pulling his pranks, if you will. He's always stirring things up. He's always picking He is quick-tempered because he thinks he's right. And you don't want to be a friend of him because you'll become like him. He's not responsible. And his parents think that this is just a disaster. And they they are sorrowful and embittered. But yet, chapter 15, verse 20, he despises his parents. He rejects them. He doesn't care for their view anyway. And that's that one word. The second word... Havil. The second word is Havil. There's 19 mentions. And this is a much darker word. Because he's, he's just plain stupid. Making stupid decisions. And he's just stubborn. 
And it's the, in the Hebrew, the word fool and folly are, are very uh, close. There's some that from the same family, just like we in the English, it's fool and folly. You could see those two pulling together. That's the word. This is the word like that in the, in the Hebrew. He doesn't control his words. As soon as he opens his mouth, you recognize him as a fool. He shows no restraint, no boundaries, no respect for others. doesn't tolerate the advice of others. And folks, until we come to the fear of the Lord, that's us. It says he mocks sin. And unless we think that we are exempt, we look at this list and think, man, he's so bizarre, he's so off track, that's not me. Solomon reminds us in chapter 22, verse 15, he says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child and has to be beaten, essentially, struck out of him. Family, society kind of knocks that foolishness out of us. And so we, we tend to just put that on somebody else. We think the simple one or the fool is somebody else. But folks, we all have these tendencies. We all have these tendencies. There's another, one other word, nabal, and that's three times. This is the word I, I thought it was interesting. This was the word that was used by Nabal. This was uh, Abigail's, which is one of David's uh, wives, Abigail's former husband. And he was called a worthless man. And the idea here with this word is that this is one whose mind is closed toward God. And there's no reasoning with him. No reasoning with him. Now, it's a temporary state that you're in. It also talks about no dignity because if you exalt him, it just looks inappropriate. And, there's, and you shouldn't imitate. You shouldn't imitate his actions. Now, that's, that's the picture. You have the fear of the Lord, that path. Or you have the other path, this path that has rejected the whole idea of God. That's the fool. That's the fool. And you don't get to the end of the path unless you take the first step, right? And the idea is you're going to go down whichever road you take the first step. Because once you take the first step, it's easier to take the second step and the third step and the fourth step. Now, it's, it's not between necessarily right and wrong, but just something that's not so wise. And before you know it, you're walking down a path that you should not be on. And that's the natural tendency of man, unless we're exposed to the truth, unless we make that choice to fear the Lord. But that one step leads to another, leads to another. And Solomon wants to stop it before it gets started. Stop it before you get too far, before you begin to take on those characteristics of a fool. A full-blown person that is just, that has just rejected Christ. Apart from the fear, or apart from the fear of the Lord, folks, we're all naive. We are all in this place. Just by way of application. We're all, we're all adrift. And so much like the world is just adrift and it could go one way or the other. And it just, and it just comes down to a vote. It just comes down to whatever people think at that particular time. And that becomes the path that, that America goes down. And the reality is, is we need to face the fact that there is a God. 
And that He has created us. And He is holy. And we're not. And we need to see God in His holiness. We need to see ourselves in light of, of Him. America's at a crossroads. But let me ask you, maybe you're at this crossroads. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I don't know. I don't know which path to take. That's it's foolish thinking. Wisdom, folly and foolishness leads to death. This wisdom, this fear of the Lord leads to, leads to wisdom. Our country has kind of lost its way, but I'm afraid our churches have begun to, to be at adrift as well. We don't have that anchor, that compass to show us the, the right direction let me just ask you, what do you value? If Satan's going to come in, he's going to change our value system, make us look at things a little bit different. That's what he did with, uh, with Eve in the Garden of Eden. How do you see what's, what's important to you? Is God's people important to you? Is God's purposes your values? Is God's design, God's word, God's work are those things of value to you? Values are seen in the way we live. They're seen in the way we live. Not what we espouse, not what we just say, in, in what we actually do. Now that's kind of scary. Because I can evaluate my, my words. That's kind of easy. That's what I like to do or what I, what I espouse I'll do. But what it, when it comes down to it, what do I actually do? That's going to show what I value most. Do I value Christ? Is Christ my anchor? If someone just took a snapshot of your life, would they be able to conclude, here's what's important to Carl. Here's what's important to you. I'm afraid what we see in the world is kind of it's very easy to kind of creep into the church and Christianity. And we have to reevaluate ourselves in light of these things. Are we just playing the fool? Is, is Satan just ma- making fun of us and, and just touting us in front of God's face? Look at those. They call themselves Christians. Or do we really fear the Lord Do we really fear God? And does our values hold up to that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this challenge in Scripture, this warning, this plea. It's, It's one way or the other, Lord. And may we not toy with that decision anymore. May we... May we follow the right path. May we fear the Lord. We know it starts with Christ. Lord, we thank You for the cross. Lord, we're not looking forward to the cross anymore. We're looking back at what is already accomplished. We see that wisdom in Christ. And Lord, we thank You. We thank You for that. Lord, may we live with a value system that is uniquely found in Scripture and not be adrift like the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.